The following is a production of the Speedsport Podcast Network. Welcome to the iRacers download on the Speedsport Podcast Network and NASCAR Digital Media. I am your host, Taylor Burris, and joining me is my partner in crime, Mr. Justin Prince, and our wonderful producer, Wayne Owens. Justin, we have a great show lined up as we get to sit down with the winner of the last round of the eNASCAR Coca-Cola iRacing Series, uh, Mr. Chris Sherburn, driver for Latart Esports, who picked up the win in a very, what I would say, chaotic race at Kansas. It was a crazy race, to say the very least, especially with the massive incident that included at least 18 cars. But in the end, Chris Sherburn had the pace throughout the race. It's going to be a great interview, I think, to be able to speak with him today. It certainly will be, but we're going to enjoy that interview and also talk news of the week. So with that, let's go ahead and get started with our special guest, driver of the number 36 Latart Esports Chevrolet, Chris Sherburn. That's right, Taylor. Chris Sherburn is now standing by, and Chris, first things first, how are you tonight? Feeling pretty good. Uh, actually ready to go out and do it again in the next race. Yes, indeed. First things first, let's talk about the race, because it was an intriguing race, to say the very least, because it had everything from strategy calls to intriguing caution flags to massive ones. Talk us through the race where you were consistently up in the front inside the top five much of the race. Yeah, uh, I, I definitely took advantage of starting third. A uh, good qualifying position was definitely key to that race, I feel like. Um, getting out in clean air uh, is definitely important, as everybody in the in the field knows. So, yeah, I mean, the car was just consistent the whole race. We didn't make too many adjustments. It was a little loose the second run, so we had to tighten it up for the last run. But um, basically just um, kind of had a game plan and stuck with it, and it seemed like it paid off. What's kind of your take on – the biggest wreck so far this season outside of Daytona because it happened just behind you while you were battling for the race lead off what was the first restart of the race. What's kind of your take on that? And what did you see as it became pandemonium in turn three? <laughs> yeah, I had to, um, I, I kind of saw it unfold at the last second there behind me. I had to go back and watch the replay on it. And it really, I mean, it was, it was a pretty typical scenario for the way this rules package for us is right you know the way it races um you know logan had a little bit of a run coming off the corner and and originally it looked like he was just gonna bump draft mitchell down the straightaway and i think that's what mitchell was counting on but he got mitchell a little bit sideways there in the straightaway and then he ducked down underneath him and and uh mitchell's still kind of i think getting used to how to race ovals and how to place his car and he didn't he didn't really give Logan a lot of room there and they just kind of made contact and it just you know chaos ensued yeah it was intriguing to say the very least but overall helped set up you in good position for the victory how difficult was that race especially the final run to try and hold on since was talking with Logan Clamper for example he was very insistent on trying to get that clean air as well as several others in that pack in that final run to the race yeah, I mean, that, that was really, that was probably, if you really want to break it down, that's probably really what caused the wreck. You know, I think Logan was thinking the same thing. You just, you want to get out there. You know, that's that's what everybody was thinking. Isaac was the same way. Um, we were just all wanting to make sure we were leading, um, especially when the tires would start falling off. Because the more the tires fall off, the more important it is to be out front. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was it was a good battle. It was definitely... 
it was probably harder at that point than it was actually battling Luza, even though I wasn't actually able to pass Luza early in the race, just because um, I, I was a little surprised that he did it. But when Gain cleared me, I thought it was over, um, which I think he did the same, same way. I think he thought he had it once he got out in front. Um, but, um, you know, the, the car was just so good, especially there in the bottom, the middle of the, lane, the lines where nobody else was running, that I was able to, to run him back down and get back underneath him and get clear of him again. Now, after the race, you called it your biggest victory so far. Why do you feel that way? Is it because of the playoff lock? Is it because of how the race broke down? Why do you feel it's your biggest victory so far, your second career victory with your first coming last year at Homestead to close out 2020? Uh, it's a combination of things. You know, the, the implications of it, you know, getting a win, the win in your end format um, doesn't necessarily guarantee that I'm in, but, it, you know, it's – as long as we stay up there in the points or if we possibly even get a second win, then we're, then we can battle for a championship later in the season. But it's also just how the race went. You know, this was the Homestead race felt good in a sense. I finally was able to, to get the win, but that one was a little bit more on strategy and scenarios playing out just right. This one was just pure running, you know, qualify up front, run up front, um, losing the lead and then getting it back and, and actually just taking the win. Um, this was the way I wanted to win a race. And this is what I felt like I could have done it a couple of times last year. And just, I didn't put those races together. I always, I missed a lot of opportunities last year that I, I could have done this same thing. So to finally be able to do it, I just feel like this was just way bigger than even the Homestead race last year. Let's talk about some of the preparation for some of these races as well chris because a lot of work of course goes into these types of races what's the preparation been like for you for these types of events throughout the season so far um i, I approach them pretty normal um you know i think uh, a good portion of us in the series have full-time jobs so we gotta wait till we get home and then get you know certain chores done or whatever before we can sit down and actually practice but I, I've, I've been stepping up my preparation before races this year I felt like um over the last year and a half or so I feel like I've been running good enough that I could I could contend for wins I just got I just got to kind of clean up some of the mistakes and and to do that you just got you got to run a few more laps and you got to you got to get a little bit different mindset so I've stepped up the preparation a little bit you know I um probably at you know I usually average anywhere from four to six hours per week I th I'd say um, but it's mostly just like, try not to take too long of a break in between sessions, you know, instead of taking like, you know, doing a session one night and then taking three or four days off before I do another session, try to get in at least a few laps here and there as often as I can, just try to stay as sharp as I can. And I think that's helped a lot this year. Um, I think, I feel like I've been a little bit more consistent this year. Yeah. That's something I've noticed too, especially on the statistics side, as well as, in the eye test side because i've noticed we noticed this in 2020 i think as well where you started getting consistently more inside the top 20 and top 25 finishes is that where that preparation you feel is definitely coming in especially since the consistency has seen a massive increase the past year and a half yeah um I'd say some of it is, is luck my luck has been horrendous in this series ever since i got into this series and uh, so far this year, uh, my luck has been pretty decent. You know, I've had a, I've had a few close calls that normally I would get collected in them or 
or whatever. And, and it seems like this year everything's been going the other direction. I think I only had one thing happen where I felt like it was a little bit unlucky, but the rest of it's either been, you know, a few self-inflicted things or just everything's been going my way early. Uh, case in point, that race right there, you know, the, I didn't really need that caution, um, but it fell at a time that didn't really hurt me. And then, you know, then the wreck that came after that happened behind me instead of right in front of me or, you know, including me. So I feel like my luck has gotten a lot better, which has helped. But, yeah, I think I think my preparation um, has been better this year, which has helped a little bit um, as a team. Um, all of us that are working together are working better this year, um, at least the last few races. So I think a lot of it's just all coming together. I think finally that um, it's finally just, you know, everything's kind of finally clicking. I think you can kind of say that. I was about to say it definitely has seemed like that, absolutely. And how has that been so far with Bobby Zelensky and in the backside as well when you include drivers like Keegan Leahy and the grouping and Mitchell Dion? How has that been like so far in terms of how it's been blossoming throughout the season? I'd say this year we've gotten better um, as far as how we're working together. You know, we, we've I've been working with Keegan and Bobby for the last couple of seasons, um, and now we've added Mitchell because he's gotten into the into the oval side of things. And uh, Mitchell has actually, I think, elevated our game up a little bit himself, even though he hasn't really actually had the chance to put that much effort into it yet um, with the Porsche stuff. But now that that's over, um, I expect him – to uh to really focus and, and and he'll probably even elevate our game even more if that's a you know if you can believe that so um we, we've been doing well i think we can there's some areas that we can clean up still but um i think overall everybody's put put in some pretty good effort the last couple of races and it's been showing you know our our qualifying as a whole i think we're the only group of guys in the field that have single digit starting positions um so far this season which has, has been huge this year i think for what the way that the car races with dirty air and everything so i think i think we've been doing good we can we can clean up a little bit better which i think we will and i'm looking forward to the rest of the season because of it of course you also have your crew chief bill bowlinger who you've been partnered with for the past few years or so how had that partnership first of all come to be and how is it going with bill so far this year uh, it's been going pretty good. Uh, we've actually, um, he's, he, it's, it's a learning process for him as well. Uh, we've actually known each other. He, he started sim racing not that long after I did. Um, I think he started around 1996 or seven or somewhere on that range. Um, and we've known each other since then. So uh, we already had you know a little bit of chemistry right there since we've already, we've been teammates in the past and we already knew each other. So really it's just a matter of him getting used to the role um, it's not, it's not easy as anybody that's uh, can attest anybody that crew chiefs or, or spots, um, on any level on I racing can, can attest that it's not easy. there's a lot of things that go on, especially in our races on the, in the Coke series, things happen fast. And, and for him to do both spotting and crew chiefing, um, I don't need a lot of, a lot of spotting or whatever. So it's mostly just being able to, to keep track of the fuel mileage and when we're going to pit and things like that. And he's done, he's done a pretty solid job. We've, he's gotten better at it this year than he was last year. And again, that's, that's another factor of why we're doing better. It's just, um, he, he, he does a good job of trying to keep me calm and, um, trying to break down things to keep it simple. And that's, that's all I really need is just somebody to keep things simple and manage the things that I, so I don't need to think about it. And I just focus on the driving. Of course, on the car as well. And in the series as well, you're with Latard Esports with Steve Latard. How has that been? And, no, you talked about this earlier this year with 
with iRacing in particular for a driver profile and talked about the excitement to be able to work with him. How has it been being able to work with Steve Letard and Letard Esports this season? It's been great. You know, ever since he got into the series, he's, uh, he, he, you know, I've been working with him ever since then. And, um, it's been pretty cool ever since, you know, he, um, he's very into it. He watches the races, you know, he'll text me after, you know, he basically right at like the race was barely over and he texted me good, good job and everything. So he's, he's very into it. He's not just one of the owners that's just there for the name recognition or whatever. He's, he's actually into it. He cares about how we run and he's there to give feedback. You know, sometimes we pick his brain about the real life cars, um, which is, you know, it's helpful every once in a while. So it's been great working with him. Um, this was the first year that I had other offers, so I could have went somewhere else and um, probably had a few offers that were actually a little bit better, but it's been so much fun working with him and so easy, so relaxed and easy to work with. So it's been nice just to kind of keep that going with him this year, and it's been great so far. What's your favorite moment with working with Steve Letarte so far when you think back so far? You mentioned the group grouping together to be able to learn from for example what are some of the other favorite moments you've had with working with them so far uh i mean it's really hard to say um i'd say you know tuesday night this week was was among that i think i think he was almost as excited as i was to to get the win <laughs> um he knows he knows that i've been really wanting to win a win a race like this i mean the homestead race meant a lot like i said but to win a race the way we did it this week um, meant more. And I think, I think he knew that as much as I did. So it was pretty cool to see how excited he was about it too. Um, I think that that stands out right now. Like, I, think, I think it's probably mainly because it's most recent memory, but um, like I said, he's been, he's been so relaxed and easy to work with on it. We don't, there's not really any, you know, it's, it's pretty much straightforward. You know, he just kind of, he handles the business side of things, getting the sponsors and everything. And I just go out and drive it. And it's been, it's been fun working with him. Like I said, Coming up, more with our guest of the week, Chris Sherburn. You're listening to the iRacers Download on the Speedsport Podcast Network and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the iRacers Download on the Speedsport Podcast Network and NASCAR Digital Media. I'm Justin Prince with Taylor Burris and our producer Wayne Owens speaking with Chris Sherburn about his time in eNASCAR as we get ready to step back in time a little bit and talk about the start of your sim racing. We were talking a bit about this, and it's been talked about in the past, where you're one of the original sim racers, Chris, where you started in the mid-1990s in particular. What was it like back then, first of all, to be racing essentially in the day when internet was just starting off and really video games were... on the rise, especially in the computer side and the racing side, was more so eight or sixteen bit. It's it's, it's definitely different. Um, you know, back when um, I actually started online racing, it was before really we were actually racing on the internet. Um, it was on the what they called the Hawaii system on uh, NASCAR racing by Papyrus. You know, the original NASCAR game. Um, it was a it was a direct dial. You used the phone lines to direct dial into their servers there in Boston. And uh, basically, uh, you had to you had to be pretty privileged to be able to do that. Was um, basically use long distance calls, and I learned pretty quickly the when I first got on there, I didn't realize that, and I racked up some pretty hefty long distance calls the first time I was on there. So we had to we had to kind of dial back the amount of time I was on there racing. But 
that was really where it got started. And I think that was basically how online racing got started, especially on the NASCAR side of things. Who were some of the people you were able to connect with back then? Because you mentioned Bill, for example, as somebody you connected with. What was that like being able to connect to people and what was a new experience back in the day to be able to race? It was harder. Um, actually, Bill, Bill didn't start until a couple years later on yeah. a separate system. But, um, you know, like you had Nim Cross was was around back then. He was one of the few names I can actually think of off the top of my head that's still around now. But um, it, it was a different time because, you know, you didn't have as many forums and um, chat things going on back then. So to connect with people, um, I think we had uh, – news groups, um, rec auto simulators and things like that, that we connected with. Um, it was just a lot, lot, you know, getting information back around and, uh, advertising your league that if you're running in a league or you had a league going or whatever, um, it was a lot harder back then. So it was definitely a different, definitely different back then than it is now. Of course, as well as time went on, sim racing eventually evolved towards the NR 2003 scene. Uh, were you a part of that, first of all? And second, if you were, what was it like back then to be able to then progress over to what was the predecessor to iRacing, essentially, on top of things? Yes, I was definitely around then. Um, some of the prominent leagues that I ran in back then was uh, Dale Jr.'s DMP League. That was uh, one of the hot leagues there for a long time. Uh, in fact, I, I won the first the inaugural season of that one. Mm-hmm. And then um, NIM had a league uh, there – about the same time, actually, Junior had his, which is called Virtual Racing World. Um, and that was probably where a lot of the um, top racers were running at the time. Uh, it originally started out as a fixed setup league, and then it migrated over into open setups. And uh, I was fortunate enough to run in the original. I didn't get to run in the like the very beginning of it, but I ran in the first season of it when it was fixed setups against guys like Steve or uh, Shannon Whitmore, uh, Darren Stevens, uh, guys like that. Um, Sean Wise, which I don't think he's around anymore, but um, that was that was Nim's baby, and really a lot of a lot of the way you see things run on iRacing and the way that the Coke series, for example, um, like their incident system and things like that, it, it, you see a lot of similarities to the way that the VRW league that Nim had was run. So I think that all that stuff there is really kind of definitely more than just NASCAR 2003 itself, but I think a lot of that stuff that was going on then. Um, help develop what we have now with the Coke series. I find that very interesting as well because sim racing has come a long way. And when it comes to that, how would you compare that time to now in terms of how things have progressed? And especially knowing that a lot of the things from back when you started and back when things were on the NR2003 side are now a big hard including some of the drivers you even contend against were drivers that contended back then yeah there's a few there's a few of them that are stuck around um you know bob bryant was around back then um in those days um brad davies gorlinski uh, ray was even around a little bit although i don't think i really raced against him much then um but the really you know the things that progressed um in, in dale jr's league I think was the earlier times, if not the when when they first started broadcasting races, like you could visually watch, not just radio type broadcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, like, um, I mean, 
I, I, honestly, now my my age is is catching up to me because I can't remember his name. Um, they were like real events is the only thing I can remember, but I can't think of his name off the top of my head. He was the one that that started the the broadcasting side of things and got the whole you know broadcasting stuff started and going for sim racing. But um, that was when that got going. And if you watch, you can still find some races on YouTube. You go back and watch them, and the quality of them, and <laughs> it's just night and day from what you guys do now. Uh, compared to then even though it was so cool back then to have that it's just progressed so much and over these past you know 10 15 years even um that it's just so much better now than it was then but even like you know down to the game itself like um what everybody complains about nowadays is netcode um i <laughs> well, i sit there and shake my head every time people complain about it because what we have now is nothing compared to what we had then we have it way better now than we did then um the cars used to jump around all over the place. Um, it was it was actually a lot harder to race side by side and, and nose to tail back then than it is now. So um, it has definitely progressed a lot even since then, um, and really even uh, you know from when I racing started, it's progressed a, a lot since you know in the last 10, 12 years even. Absolutely, it's progressed a ton indeed, and. You had taken a break at one point as well from 2000, around 2008 to 2009, all the way to about 2016. First of all, why did you take that break from sim racing, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, there, there was a, probably a couple of reasons. One of the main ones was I was, um, I was a little burned out on, on the sim racing side of things. Um, iRacing at the time seemed to be kind of stagnant with what they were doing. Um, the cars... The physics side of things wasn't really progressing as fast as I thought it should have, I'll, I'll admit. Um, but really, I think it was more of I was wanting to do other things. You know, I got into RC car racing at the time and, and started doing that. So I, I just kind of devoted my attention to that instead of trying to split my attention between both. Um, so I just kind of I, I kind of slowly migrated off of the iRacing, really. I, I raced it pretty heavily in 2008, which is really when they went. Uh, we were in the, the original beta phase i guess and then they went live later that that um that summer i think and then really over the winter is when i started phasing out of it and i, I think i just kind of ran a race here and there and then in 2009 i was pretty much done i think and then um yeah basically just kind of mostly a little bit burned out and 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 wanted to kind of just put my attention to, towards something else for a while what eventually brought you back though in 2016 well, it's kind of funny. I was I was on Facebook and I, I came across the. It was in May. I mean, it was it was during the Indy 500 deal. Um, I was on Facebook and I came across the the broadcast to the to the iRacing Indy 500, and so I sat there and watched it. And it was a, it was a kind of a cool race. I mean, it wasn't super exciting back and forth race, but the broadcast was very well put together. The announcers made it exciting. Uh, I think it was like a few mile race or something like that. But it was it was a neat. It was overall a neat deal. Um, and it looked very realistic and I was like, man, that's kind of pretty cool how, how much has progressed in the last, you know, six, seven years or eight years. And, um, so then I, I just kind of decided to hop on. I, I was kind of curious at the same old group that I hung out with, you know, like Gorlansky and Prather and all them were, there, were still around. So I hopped on a team speaker. I, I messaged one of them. They told me where team speak they're on. So I just hopped on one night. It happened to be a night of a Coke series race. Um, and they were saying that Brad was racing, you know, Brad Davis was racing. So I decided to get on there and, and spectate it. And, uh, 
he was struggling that night and apparently he was struggling all season. And for some reason, I just kind of, I kind of got into helping him out, trying to figure out setups because he seemed like he was just kind of doing it by himself and just kind of went from there. You know, I got the more, the more I helped and the more involved I got. And then, uh, we accomplished the goal we wanted, which was to keep him in the top 30, I think at the time is lock into the next season. And then, um, they all taught me into running the pro series to get into the series myself. And then, you know, here we are. What were those first couple of years in the pro series in and rather in the NASCAR Coca-Cola racing series like to try and get yourself back up to speed, if you don't mind me asking, in terms of trying to get back up to where you may have been back in the day? It's been rough. <laughs> uh, the, the Even the pro – honestly, I, 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 can't, I consider it a miracle that I made it into the series the first attempt because that my first attempt in the pro series, uh, they, they ran it that year – similar to the way the road to pro is, um, you know, you basically it was one night was designated and everybody with an A license could get on there. And I had to, I had to race a little bit. My I rating was pretty high already. So I just had to race a little bit to get it up a little bit higher so I can get up in the top split. And I first race, I missed it by one spot. I was the number one car in the second split, but it was a struggle. Um, it's really been, a, it was, it was, a, it's been a struggle for at least a couple of years actually, but it was a struggle that first year, especially during the pro series. I was just, not up to speed. I, not only that, but I was not even comfortable. I wasn't comfortable around other cars. Um, it was just, it was a lot different than just testing by myself, you know, to help Brad out. Um, there was a lot, a lot more going on, you know, the, the way NASCAR racing has progressed over the years, it changed so much from the last time I had raced anything on online racing to the time when I came back, you know, things as simple as double file restarts. You know, I had never done that. That was, that was something new that I had never experienced. So, I was I was not only a little bit off on speed, but I was just uncomfortable, uncomfortable being around cars. Uh, a friend of mine, Derek Wood, who used to be in the series, was was helping me at the time a little bit with spotting and stuff. And he he was making note every race that you're giving too much room to guys on entry to corner side by side and everything. And I told him, I said, it's just it's just it's how I got to race right now. It's just the only way I can do be comfortable. So it's been a struggle. It was a struggle the first first full year of the Coke series and probably at least the next year. It wasn't until at least the third year before I started getting kind of comfortable and getting a little bit better at it. Now I want to shift gears a little bit towards uh, the personal side of things a little bit outside of the sim nowadays. What do you do in terms of your day to day or your hobbies? Uh, Well, I mean, I, I used to, before the, the COVID thing, I used to, you know, I used to race go-karts. So I used to still kind of go to the races every once in a while and hang out there and, um, or I might even still go to an RC car race just to kind of hang out with guys or whatever. But, um, I just recently bought a house, um, and, uh, moved into it. It's got a, it's, it's what I would consider, I guess, a fixer upper. So I've been spending most of my time here the last year, year and a half working on it. So it's really mostly just been, you know, go to work, come home, maybe work on the house a little bit, uh, jump on the computer and sim race and then go to bed and then repeat the cycle the next day. So you're the type of person who focuses mainly on the task at hand, if that makes sense then. Yeah, kind of. I, I like to plan ahead, but basically, um, you know, I, I like to kind of get an idea of what I'm going to do for the day or the week or whatever, and then kind of follow that plan. And, um, you know, that's kind of, that kind of goes into the way I've always raced is I've always kind of just, uh, I've always like, like the way I test. And I think I've stepped that up a little bit more. Like I told you earlier this year is, is to 
make out the plan and then and try to follow it and then um you know i think the better i execute my plan the better i do and i think that extends to my real life too and in my day-to-day lives you know the way that my house is you know i, I just kind of make up a plan of things i want to tackle that day or that week and and just stick to it yeah in particular when we're discussing things taking handwritten notes in fact as well on a lot of stuff as well and how in-depth do you go into those notes? Because a lot of drivers in the real world go and have their own notes as well for each specific type of track as well. Yeah, I mean, I usually um, I usually write down kind of the basic stuff. Like, I'll write down the setup name of the one I ran. I mean, I usually actually kind of save those anyway. But I write down what I raced for the setup and any changes we made during the race and the way the race, you know, how the car handled and, and just kind of just the general things of, of – of, things I might want to go back and look at later down, you know, the next track that we go to that might apply to it. Um, just kind of basic things. I might, might write down the weather too as well or something like that. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to the circuit of the Americas, it's the next race on the eNASCAR calendar. It's something that no one's going to have notes on in the past for stock cars. What's your opinion on what to expect for that type of race, especially since it's the first time in serious history. It will go to that track. I don't know. I'm not sure anybody really knows what to expect. I mean, I'm looking forward to it, even though I've, I've struggled quite a bit on the, the road courses the last couple of years, but I'm actually looking forward to it. It's always looked for. I just, I just actually bought and downloaded the track here a few minutes ago um, to start practice on it, but I'm looking forward to it. It's been, it's been fun to watch races there. Um, it, it seems like a neat layout. It's a big track. Uh, it'd probably take a while to learn it, but it, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it. I'm not really sure what to expect. I think you'll see the the same usual suspects up front, um, but I think it should be a good race. I think it, I think it sounds like it's slick, so I think that's going to make for a good driver's track. It's going to be an interesting race indeed, absolutely. And just a few more questions left. And one of the big things is you've come a long way in sim racing from the mid-1990s to now. And at one point, actually shot up in terms of the I rating totals up to 5,000, I believe, read in just about less than 40 races or so. One point to get to where you're at in part. What sort of advice would you give to drivers these days to be able to compete at the highest levels and be able to succeed? Um, I would say to, I mean, you know, don't, don't get too, I mean, there's a lot of different things, but one, the one thing I see nowadays is the unwillingness of drivers to learn anything about setups. Um, everybody just wants to go out and, and find a team or buy setups from somebody or whatever. And I think, I think that helps knowing how to, even just knowing the basics about the setups of the cars helps you as a driver. The more you understand about the car, it's going to help you adapt to things in, in racing in general. And this is, this really doesn't just apply to the sim racing. This is actually uh, the same as it is in real world. Um, I, I see this all the time, even in real world, like especially in go-kartings where they're hiring tuners or whatever instead of the dads or the kids learning learning how to set the card up themselves. I think I think that's one thing I would I would definitely recommend to drivers that are that are eyeing getting into this series is. Don't be afraid to, I would say, start out in the fixed setup stuff and get your feet wet in that, but don't be afraid to dive into the setups and, and try to learn that stuff because it will make you a better driver learning how to do that stuff. 
I agree with you on that one. Now, for those who want to follow along with your career, where can they find you on social media? Uh, be at C Sherburn on Twitter, which I don't really post a lot on there, but I've also got a Facebook page that I probably equally don't post a lot on there either. But, um, I think it's Chris Sherbert racing is what it's under on, on Facebook. Um, not, not one of the, the bigger ones on Twitter as far as getting on there and posting a lot of stuff. Um, but that's, those are the places you can find me on there when I do decide to say something. Thank you very much. Once a time, once again, for the time, Chris coming up news of the week and events. You're listening to the iRacers download on the Speedsport Podcast Network and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the iRacers download on the Speedsport Podcast Network and NASCAR Digital Media. Justin, a great interview you had with Chris Sherburn, and I gotta say, he was pretty pumped about this win and how he will now have a spot in this season's playoffs. Especially since it propelled him out of what was a tight battle for what was essentially the middle of the point standing so far inside the top 20. So he's in a great position, Taylor, but it's going to be a tough slate of races coming up, to say the very least, for him to try and propel for that. But that race overall, as we talked about a little bit, was absolutely hectic in the middle portions of that specific race, especially with that massive one, Taylor. It certainly was. 18 cars involved in that incident. I mean, drivers such as Jimmy Mullis, Casey Kerwin, I mean, even drivers such as Mitchell DeJong were involved in this incident. A lot of heavy hitters, and unfortunately, it's going to shake up the play, the entire playoff point standings as we get closer to the end of the regular season. So the question now starts to loom, Justin, who has what it takes to survive, given the fact that we have not just one, but a couple of more road courses up ahead of us and a track that no one has ever been to, Circuit of the Americas. It's going to be interesting because I've talked with a few drivers already a bit about the Circuit of the Americas, and it's all over the map because you have some drivers who think it's a great chance to be able to be very consistent, hit your marks. Others who feel it's a track that won't be very consistent in terms of hitting your marks and going to be hard to be able to make passes. It's all over the spectrum so far in the early portions of testing for that racetrack, and the interesting thing is, Isaac Gann had mentioned before the race to me that this is coming up to the stretch where you really start to see people spread out and show who the championship favorites really are because it's a stretch where you have a mix of flat tracks, road courses, speedways, as well as many other different types of tracks. It mixes up the type of different skill sets you have, Taylor, for you to be able to maximize how you drive around the racetrack and who really performs at what types of racetracks. Because so far, one of the consistent mo moments of the season outside of Keegan Leahy and his strong start in terms of top fives and top tens has been many of the drivers who have come away with checkered flags so far, they've been all over the map and where they finished in the running order at all of these tracks. And this has been mostly a super speedway, a couple speedways, and a short track. It's been that type of a campaign so far where consistency has been hard to try and find. It certainly is. And if you think about it, seven races we've had so far this season, seven different winners. That leaves only three 
positions left in the point standings of drivers who can get in via points, which is right now held by Michael Guest, Isaac Gann, and Matt Busa. However, though, we do have to point out a couple of good drivers who have been kind of a little bit of a slump this season had some pretty decent finishes. Drivers such as Ray Alfala posting his best finish of the season with a 15th, and let's be honest, the four-time champ has had a lot of not-so-good races involving other incidences that he had no control over, but this is probably a good booster for him as we progress through the season. I think so as well as... By the way, your top 10 for that race, Chris Shearburn with a victory, 70 laps led, Keegan Leahy, Isaac Gann, Logan Clampett, Graham Bolin, followed by Michael Guest, Michael Conti, Blake Reynolds, Dylan Duvall, and Nathan Lyon. You're right, he needed that type of a run. It propelled him up a significant amount in the point standings. He had been in the 30s for much of the season. It's now propelled him essentially towards the verge of getting himself up into the 20s range. If he and several others want to try and get themselves inside the top 20 and make sure they're not going to have to go through the contender series, they need to start working now, I think, to get there. Because it's been that type of a year where performance has been huge. And as well, we've seen it where consistency has been hard to come from, as talked about. By the way, when it comes to those victories so far, Taylor, keep in mind that it's the first time since the early years of the series, in fact, that you had seven different winners in seven races. There's never been eight out of eight, and there's a chance that could happen at Coda. And if you think about it, you know, with Coda, you think about drivers such as none other than Bobby Zielinski, who is one of the most winningest road course drivers in the E-NASCAR Coca-Cola iRacing series of all time. But... You have drivers such as, of course, Vicente Salas, as well as Mitchell DeJong, who are very strong when it comes over to that race type of racing with road courses. Of course, you can catch the action of the next round at Circuit of the Americas on Tuesday, May 18th. Coverage begins with iRacing's Countdown to Green at 8.30 on all of iRacing and NASCAR's streaming services. Now, speaking of road course racing, we got to switch over to the Porsche Tag Heuer Esports Super Cup as they had just finished up with their season finale this season. And of course, a very exciting day as we were at Autodroma Nacional Monza or Monza, as we will know for sure. And of course, it was ended by another dominant performance by the now, I believe this is his second championship, Joshua Rogers. Yes, indeed. The first two-time champion in the series of the history, rather the history of the series, Taylor. And for him, it was another very dominant performance throughout that entire race weekend, especially for him and his organization to be able to celebrate, to be able to come away with the title. It was absolutely huge for Joshua Rogers to take home the title. Uh, it's pretty amazing. I mean, it started off pretty much with just a dominating performance, but he did have to fight off a little bit with Mitchell DeJong in that final race as he only had about a tenth advantage over his competitor. Of course, Mitchell DeJong will finish off the championship in second place for him, so it's a very good job for both the E-NASCAR Coca-Cola Series driver to compete in both series. So interesting to see what he can do as we find out more before we kick off the next season in 2022. And that's going to be the interesting thing is about where the focus now lies for some of the drivers because it now is a bit of a break and a bit of a breather before the qualifiers 
for the next season. But it's also a chance to see how Mitchell Dijon now runs in eNASCAR to be able to see how he propels his performance. So it's an interesting balance overall on how the drivers will be. But overall, you have to give credit to drivers who battled at the relegation line, like Johan Haars, like Selva Talmans. It was an intense battle, Taylor, keep in mind, in that race, all the way to the final lap, in fact, to try and see who would make it. You have to feel, though, for Moreno Sarica, who was in the best position to move on, then reached a penalty to close off the race. Certainly is. And in fact, for Salva Talens, he was in that top 20. So he'll be able to come back for the next season in 2022, along with 20 fresh new drivers that will be joining the ranks in 2022 when they do the qualifier series. But in the meantime, Justin, I think everybody who's a fan of Porsche is going to be having fun with a new toy coming to the iRacing service in the Season 3 build in June. As it was just announced, the Porsche 911 GT3R, that's not the GT3 Cup, this is the GT3 spec car that you see run in series such as the IMSA WeatherTech Championship, as well as the Fanatic GT World Challenge series across the world and anywhere you can find GT3 sports car racing. I know you've been pumped up about it. I'm pumped up to see how it runs on the iRacing service. It's going to be interesting, especially which teams latch their way onto it and perform the best with it. But I know for sure that there's going to be a lot of people very pumped up over it, Taylor. It certainly is. And just a quick note right quick before we come to a close. This is the first car that we have on the iRacing service or first manufacturer. Well, we have all the major ranks of sports car racing platforms, starting with GT4 to GT3 Cup to, of course, the GT3, GTE, or GT Le Mans, and then, of course, finally, an LMP1 program. So it's very exciting. But with that, Justin, it's hard to believe. We've already come to a close on another great episode. For all of you who are listening, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the iRacers Download on the Speedsport Podcast Network and NASCAR Digital Media. <laughs>